Are you an adventurer looking to take your hunt to the next level? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the East Meets West Hunt podcast presented by Spartan Forge. On today's episode, I am joined by world champion archer and incredible hunter Levi Morgan. Levi has dominated the competitive archery space for years, but his real passion is in hunting. We talk about how Levi has learned to capitalize on opportunities, his home farm in Pennsylvania, the history of hunting big timber, the story of his his hunt for the massive Pennsylvania buck that he took this year, and much more. This episode is brought to you by the Spartan Forge app, which utilizes years of military background and machine learning to pull from millions of data points to accurately predict deer movement, including GPS data, 30 years of weather, academic, and state research. The new app includes GPS mapping with incredible aerial imagery, offline dependability, deer prediction, weather updates, journal entries, and much more. You can use the code EASTMEETSWEST to save 20% off the Spartan Forge app at spartanforge.ai. Tethered is a company founded on the principles of educating the hunting community on saddle hunting while creating the most innovative, lightweight, safe products for saddle hunting. They have mobile hunting gear options for all types of hunters and continue to push the envelope. To learn more about tethered and saddle hunting, head over to tetherednation.com. Maven is building the highest quality optics at half the price of their competitors through their direct consumer business model. They want to create the best optics for the job, period. Their products are back with a lifetime no-fault warranty and an incredible customer experience. The new RS2 Ultralight Rifle Scope is designed for the all-purpose hunter and features a 2 to 10 times zoom range to cover most eastern and western hunting situations. The RS2 is my recommended scope for those who require precision but don't need the added features of a long-range scope. Thus, it makes it perfect for small game, eastern whitetail, as well as western big game ultralight mountain rifle setups. Coming in at only 12 ounces, it's one of the lightest all-purpose scopes in the market. You can use the coupon code EASTMEETSWEST-GIFT for a free gift with any full price optics order at mavenbuilt.com. Go Wild is a free social community built by hunters for hunters. Join me on Go Wild today and get 10 bucks to spend on gear just for setting up your account. You'll keep unlocking Go Wild rewards and you can now see my complete gear setups under my profile, which is just under my name, Bo Martonic. You can join at timetogowild.com or in the App Store, whether that's Apple or if you have uh, Google Play, anything like that, you can find it. If you use the coupon code EASTMEETSWEST, you'll save 10% off of all hunting gear within the app or on the website. And that includes tethered saddle products. So it's the only place you can save some money on that. And uh, definitely they have a lot of hunting gear there. So check that out. All right, so this week's Mountain Buck Monday story of the week coming at you on Wednesday here uh, is, comes from Sam Thomas. So Sam had wrote in, and you can find you can find uh, this story as well as the photos of these bucks over on the East Meets West Hunt Instagram page and East Meets West Outdoors on Facebook. Sam wrote in, being tagged out in Tennessee and having a month left to hunt, I knew it was time to see what I was made of. I drove over 45 minutes away into the Blue Ridge Mountains of North Carolina, completely new to the state for deer hunting. 
I tried several locations but never found anything I really liked until I stumbled upon a huge mountain range that was just destroyed with buck sign. I picked it apart and managed to find a subtle bench on the side of the mountain that was loaded with fresh scrapes and I made a game plan. A bad snowstorm blew in the next few days and the movement was non-existent. But after a week or so, the weather broke and a warm front was in the forecast. Knowing the bucks were more than likely going to freshen up the scrapes. On the morning of December 10th, this buck did just that. It was around 9am when I looked up and the buck had snuck in through the snow and was 30 yards walking right for me. He came in at 15 yards, cleared out a big scrape and gave me a shot opportunity. He ran 40 yards and piled up, and I couldn't believe what had happened. To harvest one mountain buck a year is a feat in itself, but to take one in a state I'd never stepped foot in was truly a blessing. So Sam had actually killed three mountain bucks that year and just shared the story. I just shared the story of this one on here. So it's some incredible work ethic and drive from Sam to be able to do that. So congratulations. Send your mountain buck Monday story into Bo at eastmeetswesthunt.com and would love to be able to feature it. All right, so in other news, I have some new hats over on the website. So I just put up the new Spike Dad hat uh, that comes in gray and navy, which is just your simple, relaxed fit dad style hat and with a a leather patch on the front with the east meets west adventure compass logo on there and then i also have the deer camp roper which is one of my favorite hats that's come out in a while it's pretty cool it's a a higher profile design more of like a trucker style look with a rope that goes across the front and then a patch on the front, which is the, the East Meets West Adventure logo as well. And that hat comes in two different colors. It comes in burnt orange with a black mesh back, as well as an olive color with a black mesh back to it. So, and both of these hats are made by Legacy. So if you're familiar with Legacy hats, they're extremely comfortable and uh, they do some really good work for me and have been a, a popular hat. So got those over on the website and still have a few of the Woodsman beanies left. I sold out of the brown color within a week of them launching. I knew I should have ordered more, um, but uh, they I ordered them back in August. I wasn't really thinking as much about it and they, you know, they finally came in, um, but I still do have some of the gray and black marled colors left over on the website. All of the do- donations from quarter four, I donate 3% of the sales to the Natural Deer Association. So the National Deer Association is one of the organizations that I truly think does great things for wildlife conservation and the white-tailed deer. So definitely, um, if you want to support the podcasts and support the National Deer Association, check out some of uh, the new apparel options as well as everything else on my website at eastmeetswesthunt.com slash shop. In other news here, I just wanted to to bring up something that had come up and I'm kind of embarrassed that I didn't know about this ahead of time before this actually happened. But recently, it was in November, the um, in Washington State, they had banned spring bear hunting. And obviously that's a, a, a big deal um, from the standpoint of this is, even if you don't live in Washington or you don't plan on bear hunting, this is a giant threat 
to hunting for that to be able to happen. And we've seen it in New Jersey. We've seen it in British Columbia with bear hunting. And it's the, the hard part about it is, and the hard part of it to swallow is that it's not based on science. It's not based on, uh, you know, the American wildlife conservation model, the North American wildlife conservation model. It's not, it's, it's based off of people that mostly, well, they are anti hunters that are putting pressure on these organizations in the, the fish and wildlife, um, fish and game commission there in Washington. But, Already from the pressure that hunters have put on after this has came out, I signed a petition as well as thousands and thousands of other people. One of the, one of the people there that were for banning this bear hunt had stepped down and which is good. So, and they only won by one vote. So there's a, so right now it's kind of about 50, 50, um, from that standpoint. But I think if we continue to put pressure on them that we can have this reverse and they're going to review it here in January. So I would highly recommend that you check out, um, you can either just search it on, uh, Google the spring bear hunt ban in Washington and read about it to get some more background and make your own decision on it. Um, but also the, the sportsman Alliance, which is a conservation group, um, I, I, over on their Instagram page, they have links, uh, to where you can contact the, the fishing game organization in Washington and give your input. It's important to be very respectful in your email to these commissioners and make sure that you, it doesn't need to be a, a really long, um, a paragraph or anything to write to them, but just make sure that you say that you support spring bear hunting and the, the science-based model of conservation. And I think it's important for us to be heard from that standpoint. So please do your part. And even if you're not in Washington or you never plan on hunting there, this is really important for us as hunters and we need to, to stick together. So, uh, check that out and, um, you know, show your support from that standpoint. And other than that, uh, I'm, this is, I'm recording this intro here on Sunday morning and planning on as soon as I get done here, driving up to New York to do a little bit of late season bow hunting. It's a bow, bow season came back in as well as muzzleloader season in New York. And I'm planning on taking the bow up and basically taking a walk, seeing if I can find some fresh sign, maybe set up for the evening. If not, it'll be just more of a scouting mission, but, uh, looking forward to getting back up there and just getting a few hours of walking around and, and checking that out. So excited about that. And, uh, I hope that everyone has a very Merry Christmas and happy holidays here. And it's, uh, and spend some time with their family over uh, this week here. So, and week and weekend. Uh, with that being said, I really hope that you enjoy this podcast with Levi Morgan. Uh, I was excited to be able to get to interview Levi. He's a, a great individual and person, as well as a, obviously a very talented and hardworking archer and hunter. So, I hope everyone has a good rest of your week and take care. All right, we're live. Levi Morgan, welcome to the show. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's it's, it's exciting. Uh, we, we've been going back and forth for a while, and I made the mistake of asking you during hunting season, which I knew that wasn't, uh, wasn't the best laid plans. 
Yeah, I should have just been more straight up with you and said, yeah, I could probably agree to this and I'll have to push it back like 14 times until after hunting season and when I'm finally sitting down somewhere. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I I was going to, like at the beginning, I was just going to be like, I I knew you had a pretty rigorous travel schedule with hunting and then, you know, with family and everything else. And and I was like, "Uh, maybe I'll see if just he wants to do it after the season. I'm like, well, let me see if, uh, see what he says to doing it, you know, immediately so i guess it ended up uh, the latter anyways (laughs) yeah it could you know sometimes it could work out but man the i i normally spend pretty much all of december down in mississippi on my club down there and our service is awful so yeah it just ended up i was going so hard down there i just it wasn't possible. So yeah, my apologies, but I'm glad we finally made it happen. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, pr- I really appreciate you taking the time. Have you, um, are you, are you feeling like you're done with hunting season from the standpoint of mentally and everything? Or are you, could you just keep going? No, I could keep going, man. I, I, you know, it's just one thing I never really get tired of doing. And it's, um, I mean, I get physically tired and like need a day or two to like regroup sometimes you know and uh but as far as like just over hunting season it's not that way at all like i was sitting in a tree the other night and i knew it was kind of my last sit and i was just like very thankful for the the season i've had i look forward to this like more than anything all year you know and it's just like i think about it every day and so it flies by like every year just goes by quicker and quicker but i was sitting there in a tree with my brother the other night and i just kind of stood up whenever i realized like it ain't going to happen tonight. And I just told him, I said, Hey, it's been a great year, man. Cause he looked at me like, Hey, I'm sorry, dude. You know, but yeah, it's like, it's been a, such a good year. I, I'm like, so I feel satisfied this year, you know, which is normally I, I spend all the way through January hunting, but this year it's just, it's just time to be a dad and be home and take care of all the things I've neglected for the last four months. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. With, with hunting season starting. So I mean, do you, when do you start in August typically? Um, normally I go from like my last tournament. I normally don't even go home. I go from there to my first hunt. So this year was Nebraska. So September one, um, so I actually got there a couple of days. I normally get there the last few days of August to start scouting and try to get my eyes on something. But, um, yeah. So end of August, first of September. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a, that's a long season, but definitely one that like, I know for me personally, I I'm good with continuing just to keep hunting, but I need those days in between. Like Mm -hmm. I I always like, for me, I think like four days on a day or two off and then just keep cycling. That's pretty good. Especially during the rut when I'm sitting all day long, Yeah, you know, having that little bit of a mental and physical break in between there is always, is always welcomed, but yeah, for sure. It's tough, you know, when you're on a certain deer or something and it's just so tough to pull off of them when you feel like you're close and you can let yourself get so mentally drained that you just start making bad decisions and it's good to take a day off every now and then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but before we get uh, too far into this here, Levi, I want to, uh, for you to give a little bit of a, a background on yourself and we'll for the listeners here, I'm sure most of them know who you are, but the host of Bow Life TV and the online podcast, amongst a lot of other things. But just give a little bit of uh, a background on who who's Levi Morgan that maybe people don't see. Yeah, so I grew up in North Carolina. Um, just got into hunting because of my dad, and and kind of really my background and all this, kind of how I got started, uh, was tournament archery. 
Um, so my dad was a big bow hunter, started taking me to local shoots and stuff when I was a kid. Um, and I started winning those and then just kind of went on through the national level, world level as an amateur one out of that. And so when I turned 18, my dad's a rock mason in, in construction, kind of what I did um, after I graduated high school, but always knew this is what I loved. And if I could make a, a living doing this would be like the ultimate dream. So um, I was working a full-time job as a stonemason, trying to win on the archery circuit as a professional um, and ended up doing that um, in 2007 uh, and winning my way into a career there. So um, I was able to like lay down the construction side of my life and which opened the doors to the television show and allow me to do what I really loved for a job. And that was bow hunting. So, um, my wife who was on the tournament trail is how we met Samantha is from Pennsylvania. So when we had our first kid, um, she, I was gone on the road so much. She wanted to be close to her family. So that's how I ended up here. So not Iowa. That's where <laughs> if I had it my way, I'd live. <laughs> but, but once I realized that was never an, never going to happen, I was like, all right, well, we'll go to PA then. So, yeah. <laughs> and so how did, how did the, the TV show come about? I mean, as far as you, I guess things were different at that time than they are now with the barrier to entry was a lot different than it is now to starting some sort. It's not like you just started a YouTube channel then. Right. Yeah. It was, um, you know, looking back, I was not, I had no idea what I was up against. And I think that was a blessing, right? Cause um, even then it was a pretty saturated market of people that were like wanting to do what, you know, real tree monster bucks and the juries and Lee and Tiffany. And there were so many people wanting to do that and trying, um, like I said to you a minute ago, I just felt like I was too dumb to quit. And, and like people warned me and like some close friends of mine in the industry said, don't do it. You know, it's a really tough road. And it was, but um, I was literally winning tournaments to pay my house payment when I was like 20, 19 or 20. And, um, I just didn't like the way that felt like having to win to, to pay my house payment. So I was like, <laughs> my thought was I need better job security. Like I need to know that I got a check coming. Right. Yeah. And that was the dumbest. Now I'm looking back. I'm like, that's the worst job security in the world. <laughs> so, yeah. Let's start a hunting show. Let's great job security but um and i didn't make a dime for like four years doing it either so like i lost money and and uh but you know what uh god was super good to me and and just allowed me to kind of catch a break at the right time right i was like i so many stories looking back it's like right when i was ready to give up even my tournament career and all that something would happen and everything would turn around and it was like, right when I was ready to give up on my dreams, it was like something little happened. And Matthew's title sponsored my television show in like 2010 or something with life on the road. And, uh, that's when it really kind of took off for us. And we were able to, to turn my dream into uh, kind of a reality at, the, at that time. So, yeah. And, and you still, I mean, you're obviously still, um, you know, shooting tournament archery is your main gig and with hunting being your passion from the sounds of it <laughs> yeah yeah definitely i mean that the tv show has taken a bigger role in like 
I've been, you know, I'm not a business guy, um, or don't claim to be, but I've been forced to kind of learn that side of the industry. Um, uh, because if you want to make it here, you, you have to kind of learn how all of that works. And so I've, I've been lucky to have some really good mentors in my life on that side of it. Uh, Keith Kelly with the Kelly group who was, you know, just some, some great companies. And I've been lucky to kind of be part owner in some of these companies and businesses. Cause I see the light at the end of the tunnel. I'm not going to win tournaments for the rest of my life, you know, and yeah. I want to be in this industry. I want to change for the better. Um, and make great products and, and go forward that way. And so that's kind of where I see it going, but yeah, tournament archery is still a big part of my life. And I've been able to be highly competitive, even with a family and so many other things going on. So super fortunate to still be able to shoot against these kids coming up and yeah, they're giving me a run for my money though. I can promise you that. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. And, and I mean, do you, during hunting season, you're obviously probably not preparing a whole lot from for the tournament archery season. So, you know, you got some of these younger guys and stuff that are probably training all year for it. And yours is, yours is not that that way from the, from the sounds of it, just from looking at your <laughs> <No>. hunting schedule. <laughs> no, I, I haven't looked at a tournament boat since August. And, uh, <laughs> and like normally I don't until January. And a lot of these guys never stop, you know, so that makes it tough. But, um, I always feel like I, I'm able to pull through a lot of these just off experience because I've been doing it since I was a little kid and and um but yeah it would you know I don't I don't even know if it would help me to practice that much. It's something I gotta lay down and walk away from for a period of time. I get really burned out on tournaments anymore and um I used to love it, like love it, love it and want to be the best and had so many goals and been lucky to accomplish most of them. But anymore it's like it's it's work and i think once you are really successful in any field the expectation that comes along with that from people and from companies that you shoot for really puts the cloud over that and yeah. it, it makes it more like i have to do well rather than like i want to do well and so i still love the co competition part of it but um i definitely get burned out and uh I'm ready for hunting season for sure by the end of it. <laughs> I can, yeah, I could imagine. And did you, when like when you started, when you were very young, like you said, getting in the term in archery, did you have, like, I know you said that your dad got you into it and stuff, but did you have someone that like really mentored you through then? Or how did you just, or did you just shot so much and practice so much that you just became good at it? Yeah, my dad was my coach growing up. I never had a coach or anything like that. Um, but he was probably the best coach looking back. Like my dad was a very, um, he's very hard on me growing up, very strict. Like, you know, I remember so many times him saying, you can quit whenever you want, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to take you around to these tournaments and, and sacrifice my time and money if you're not going to do the same. And so it was like, I, I shot before school, I shot after school. I mean, like every spare minute of my life as a kid, was you know shooting you know other than i played other sports too but like if during archery season and tournament season if i didn't put in the work i didn't get to go right which is great and I, i'm so glad my dad was that way it showed me you know work ethic and taught me you know to see an actual results from the work that i put in and uh yeah so that was kind of the way that was but um i never had any other coaches uh growing up at all uh, interesting. And, and I get, I'm pro I'm guessing that, you know, from starting so young, you got used to the pressure 
of it and that kind of helped you as you got older and started jumping up into those leagues but how how would you compare like the pressure of shooting a tournament with you know with a hunting scenario where it's like you have a a buck in front of you and and that type of gut-wrenching feeling a little bit yeah i think uh you know a tournament's more of a marathon but but i would compare those last few shots to win a tournament very similar you know where your mind kind of blanks out and you revert to just what you practice you know um if you're up there on the line trying to win 50 grand for a world championship with this last arrow and you're having to think about the process you're you're already screwed right (laughs) if you're thinking too much so um i really feel like tournaments has helped me hunting more than i can even explain you know just in that moment of truth where i have to make the shot and i have to perform um being able to focus on things other than what's at stake have really helped me you know something i learned in tournaments a long time ago is if you're focused on the outcome you're not going to win you know if you're focused on what happens if you screw the shot up you're not going to win so um i definitely feel like in hunting it just happens you know and it's over and i don't even really realize what i did just executing right and so uh, I just I feel like tournaments really have played a big part in that, though. Yeah, no, I I could I could imagine, and and you know just being able to execute under the the pressure from that standpoint, and I think that's one of the things that many people, including myself, struggle with as you know as you're getting into it and having more opportunities. I I feel like the more reps that I get in those scenarios, the better I get at dealing with it. But sometimes I still feel like it's, uh, it's, it's difficult. And and I think one of the the biggest things, like, did you, did you work with Joel Turner at all? I did. Yeah. Recently, um, like a couple years ago, I went through his class and, um, Mm -hmm. talked to him personally quite a bit. His son is going to be, I, really going to try to be retired before his son starts shooting against me so yeah 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 <laughs> <laughs> he's he, he's an awesome human being in general and just like yeah. and such a good you know t- teacher when i i went through one of the classes with him and and some of the other things and he was just like eye-opening to me as far as you know the focusing on that process and being present and not focusing on you know if i screw this up like you have to go into that so confident and every little little thing. And, and I think that's been, been super helpful for me. And, uh, I, I, I thought he had mentioned when I saw him that he had worked with you or talked with you or something in the, mm-hmm. in, the in the past there. Yeah. We, um, I think it was like maybe a year and a half ago. I, um, have you ever wanted to have Levi Morgan, Andy May, Johnny Stewart and others available at all times? Well, you can with CyberScout from Spartan Forge. CyberScout is like the chat GPT for outdoors men and women. You can ask it any questions related to bow building, scouting, hunting, survival, and a whole lot more. I think you'll be impressed with how it responds. CyberScout is currently out now for a select group of early beta testers and will be available to the rest of you really soon. The entire app is a complete tool for planning your hunt with incredible aerial imagery mapping, journaling, deer prediction, and some of the most accurate and detailed weather data. Use the code EASTMEETSWEST to save 20%, and if you're still on the fence, give the 14-day free trial a chance at SpartanForge.ai. CVA has been America's number one selling muzzleloader brand for over a decade. Hunting with a muzzleloader opens up a ton of hunting opportunities across the U.S., and I've been using the Acura series. 
but they don't only make badass muzzleloaders. Their line of centerfire rifles are great quality and not terrible on the wallet. The Cascade short barrel is ideal for tight quarters, deer drives, and quick shots in the big woods. You can check out their line of muzzleloaders, rifles, and accessories for every season and every range at bpioutdoors.com slash CVA. If you use the code EASTMEETSWEST10, you'll get 10% off of all CVA products, which includes rifles, muzzleloaders, and accessories. You know, because I still, like, there's nothing that you ever perfect in this game. I think that's one of the reasons I love it so much is yeah. that, like, you think you figured it out and then it hits you in the face with something new. And, you know, I had uh, struggled in some indoor events, uh, you know, over the years, like Vegas and stuff. I think Vegas and Lancaster are, like, the only two I haven't won. And it's just, like, archery so mental, um, you know, and it's just, like, some of the things I was struggling with i i was kind of at a dead end so i kind of went to him and uh he's been great and uh, i picked up a lot of really helpful things from joel and that shot iq and um yeah he's um he's a very strong mental mentally strong dude when it yeah. comes to shooting under pressure so yeah yeah i'll tell you he he got he gave me some challenging shots when he's sitting there when you have a steel target and you got the the little hole in between it and then he's hitting your hat with an arrow as you're drawn back yeah. and trying to go through the process and he would just do anything to try to get into your head while you're going through that and it was it was super helpful um from that yeah. standpoint but yeah his his son looks like he's he's going to be very oh, very oh, he's he already very good yeah, he's a stone cold killer. There's no doubt. That kid has got so much confidence and just like such a good mental game. And um, yeah, I plan on being long gone. I plan on being <laughs> out of here, <laughs> Take, taking some dignity with me and being out of here. Yep. <laughs> yeah, that's that's funny. Um, so Levi, I was I was going to kind of wait for this towards the end, but while we're a little bit on this topic here, you know this this season has been incredible to say the least for for you so far well just in in total i mean how many deer have you been able to to put on the ground so far this year um i see not i think nine white tails um and then i shot a mule deer an antelope and a sick of black tail so um i think of those nine white tails they were all over 140 seven of them were over 155 and five of them were over 160. So it was like <laughs> just one of those years, man. Like I, I'll never touch it again, and, but I'm very thankful for it. Yeah. But the one thing that, you know, that I've noticed from watching you and then even, I mean, last year you had a, a killer year too, if, mm -hmm. if I remember right. And what do you think, like, that's a difference in who Levi is, you know, in the last couple of years and today when, versus who you are years ago and you maybe you killed a lot of you know great deer then but as far as like just really it seems like from just talking to you a little bit and then from seeing on instagram that like when you had those opportunities you were making them count so from whether it's from the hunting standpoint or yeah i guess more so from the hunting standpoint what what do you think cha changed yeah, I think a lot of things um, are to be said as far as that goes. I think, yeah, I am making better decisions now, even from like looking at a piece of property and like from the very from day one to understanding how deer are going to use it, you know, and and um, but I think the main thing on even from that aspect is not being as aggressive as I used to be as far as like 
right away moving right in and like blowing the deer out before I even have a chance to hunt him right um and being more open to saying okay these first few days are literally uh, you know, I might see them, but I'm not, I know I'm not going to blow them out of here. And like learning as I go on a place that, and I do, I mean, I've got better ground to hunt now. Um, as you know, too, I, I really, um, made some great connections, have some great landowners that, that I get to hunt on and, and, uh, you know, you can't kill them if they don't live there. And that's what I've always said. I grew up hunting public land and, and, um, and did that my whole life. And, and, sometimes you're just not hunting a big deer you know sometimes they're not there if you don't do your homework and find one it's a lot of work you know and i've yeah. done it i've killed some big deer on public but um i've been hunting where big deer live and and that's another you know thing i'm not going to sit here and tell you that i'm like some you know <laughs> god sent public land guy that kills booners on public every week because i don't you know I, I get to hunt really good ground and and uh um but I mean, it's, it's not ground. It's like these deer just coming out every, everywhere. I mean, it still can be very tough hunting. I just, you can't kill them if they don't live there. So I think that, I think technology, I think stuff like Spartan Forge, um, you know, cell cameras, things that have really just allowed me to learn more and not be as intrusive. Right. Um, because a big buck is very fragile. And, um, I think I used to, it's not that I didn't know they were there. It's not that I couldn't, wasn't a good hunter. I, um, it was, I think I was just way too aggressive, um, and didn't allow it to unfold naturally. I tried to force it. Um, and so I feel like that's one of the main things that I've learned. Um, and it's probably just made me more successful on, on like targeting a specific deer. So, yeah. But the, I mean, the one thing I'll say is, you know, like like you said, you have you've had great ground to be able to hunt and everything, but still, a mature buck is a mature buck, and it still doesn't. Right, yeah. You know, that's it. It's it's easy for somebody to say, oh, you know, he's got this great ground to hunt or whatever, and and, right. and whatever that is awesome, and you've earned that. But the thing is, it's still a mature deer, and still being able to capitalize on that does not make that any easier. Um, from that standpoint, there's still a white tail, no, and you know, you know, you know that you've, you've done all, I mean, hunted all different areas and all different types of land. So, yeah, I mean, I've had some of my, you know, I've killed some of my biggest deer, like first sit on public, you know, and then I've hunted some of the best farms in Iowa and sat there for 10 days and not seen a shooter, you know, it's just deer yeah. hunting is so uncontrollable, you know, it's like, um, but like this year I shot the biggest deer of my life on my dad's farm in Ohio, which was really cool, but it's a 195 acre farm with surrounded by pressure you know it's just it's not it's not an easy chunk of ground to hunt you know but giant deer live in that part of ohio so it's like um you're in you're in the game if you play it smart i guess was my my point you know there's been places i've hunted in my life where i feel like there was no chance i was going to kill a big buck yeah. you know and like i had to be real with myself like what my target should be here you know so yep. And but that that um that so that your your uh, dad's farm there in Ohio is that something that you've hunted your entire life? Yeah, I I've hunted there since. That's kind of where I learned to hunt big deer because I grew up in the Carolinas. We didn't have yeah. you know like a ninety inch eight point was like top end you know like uh, and the 
getting a deer to four and a half was unheard of. So you never really got to chase mature deer there. So when I was 14, 13 or 14, my dad bought that farm. And so that's really where I learned as a teenager um, and screwed up a lot on hunting big deer. Um, and so I hadn't shot a deer in Ohio in like six years, I think. So, and like, just that's how tough it can be there. You know, Southern Ohio is one of those places I tell people you can go three days and not see a single deer. And then all of a sudden the deer, your life's walking at you in the timber. So it's just a big timber farm as well. And, and, um, a special place, but it can be real tough. Yeah. Yeah. That's I've hunted a uh, decent, decent amount in Southern Ohio. And Mm -hmm. I love that area there as far as the potential for just absolute giant deer, but I've had similar situations where I've went days without seeing a deer. And then there's been trips that I've, I've the first hour that I climbed into the tree that it's worked out, worked out in my favor. And I, I, I love Ohio. It's one of those places that it's, it's, uh, it's obviously no secret anymore, but it's, uh, still a very special place. Oh yeah. I wish I knew now what I knew, or I wish I knew 10, 15 years ago, what I know now, but and as far as hunting the hills of Southern Ohio and, and, uh, just, you know, it takes being a good woodsman there. And I think I love hunting those places. That's one thing that's cool about Pennsylvania. Um, and one thing that's cool about Southern Ohio, it, you're not going to consistently kill big bucks unless you're a good woodsman. And, um, there's some places like Kansas where it's a no brainer. You look at a map and there's a wood line on a river and it's like, okay, that's where the deer are going to be, you know? So, but there's places like Pennsylvania where it's nothing but a 1500 acre block of woods. And you're like, good luck. Yeah. (laughs) Two different, two different scenarios. Yeah. Yeah. I, I definitely can relate to that. And, and that's, so your, your farm that you have is in Pennsylvania as well. Right. And so give a little bit of a background on that farm. Like you, when you moved there, you you said you moved there once you had your first son, right. And, yep. and then did you just start managing it from there for whitetails or how did that look? No. So we moved here in see 2012. Um, we bought our house, um, with an acre. So we didn't have any ground to hunt here. I hunted, uh, public here, coal mine property, um, stuff like that. And, um, like green County, all that stuff. And then, so, um, saw some good deer, shot some good deer over there. Um, but then like my goal dream, even since I was a kid is to own a, own a a farm, you know, um, there's just something about that that always just intrigued me. And so, once I realized I was here permanently and wasn't getting to go to Iowa, I was like, all right, then let's, let's look for something here. Right. So we looked for a couple of years and just nothing was coming available. And I had a 90 acre, I had permission to hunt this 90 acre piece of ground and I was hunting a giant on it, um, down here in kind of the lowlands, what we call it here. <laughs> and, uh, and I was sitting there one morning and I just, somebody had told me about this guy that owned a ton of ground up in the mountains and had gave me his number. And I was like, I'm going to go for it. And so I just texted him and said, you don't know me from Adam, but I want, you know, I'm looking to buy a farm for my family. I want something to, to leave to my boys. And if you ever want to sell any of your ground, you know, please let me know. And literally he texted me right back and said, how, how soon can you be here? 
<laughs> and I was like, I can come right now. And literally we got on his, he, he, you know, we got on his, like, I forget, like a Kawasaki mule or something. And he said, I'm going to show you every farm I got and you pick which one you want to buy. And I was just like, what? <laughs> so we went driving around that day and I'll never forget walking on this one farm and just being like, I called Samantha from the woods and I said, this is it, you know, like this is everything. And it was a 250 acre farm. Um, and it bordered another one of his farms. It was 270 acres. And so this 250 acre farm was nothing but timber, like 100% timber. So it was like a blank canvas. Um, with a little cabin on it. And so we ended up buying that farm and then a year later buying the other 270 from him. And, and at, so all together it's like 520, but that guy's been like such a, a blessing just to land on that, you know, something that was never on the market wouldn't have been on the market for a day, you know? Yeah. So yeah, you got lucky, but <laughs> oh, that's no, that's crazy. And what, what, why did he decide like he would just sell it to this random guy that got a hold of him? I don't know, man. This guy is a special person. Like he's um a very sentimental person, and I think he understood that I wasn't here to make a quick buck or to flip it. Or um, he's like cares about that mountain of Farmington like more than anybody I've met. And uh, so I just felt like he understood mine and Samantha's goal was to make it better and to create like a, you know, we, we even said it, we're not even here to kill the deer. We're here to like give them a place to survive, you know, more than anything, because, you know, Pennsylvania can be like, everything dies, you know? (laughs) And and, I mean, that's the God's honest truth. It's like, it's like, dang, you know? Um, and so we wanted to more than anything, create that, you know, sanctuary where we could, and, and show people around here what was possible, you know? because we have the genetics and all they need is the nutrition and the age and we can have some giant deer. I mean, look what you guys are killing and, and what we've been able to kill the last couple of years on the farm. So, um, I think he, once he saw what our vision was, it was like, okay, you know, he, he could feel really good about selling me a place that he cared about. So, yeah. And, and so was that, was that property all timbered at that point or was there actual like farm fields and stuff on it at that point? So the 250 acres was pretty much all timber. There might've been like five acres total that I could put food plots on, on the first 250. And it's big timber, like white oak, maples, like big, like old timber. Um, the 270 that we bought the next year was, um, had been strip mined and, um, part of it had been timbered and it was way more like farm ground type. So it had, it's probably got like, 75 to 90 acres of tillable so that's where i plant all my beans and corn and food um now but i killed both my bucks the last two years on the original 250 that's still all timber you know it's like where my big ones just that's where they stay you know they don't want to come out of it so oh that's crazy so are, the, are those the 250 and the 270 are they right next to each other yeah they join um they join and and so they probably share about a quarter mile line so it's really just one big farm okay so yeah Yeah. when you're when you were talking when you uh sent me that message from this year this this buck we're going to talk about with this giant that you killed and you're like this was a mountain buck like this deer just yeah he stayed in the timber and he didn't come out to your fields or anything like that that's do you do you you said that you've seen that with a couple of the deer 
there? Yeah, I have for sure. And it was funny because this deer we named Browse um, was such a random deer, man. I remember when he was several years ago, he was three and a half when we first got a picture of him. And it was like November 13th. And like I had, I was running cameras everywhere and he shows up in the middle of my farm on November 13th. And I'm like, I don't know this deer, you know? And so he, you know, it's like one of those deals where we may have 25 nice racked bucks at the beginning of a season. And by the last day of rifle, we've got three or four, you know, mm-hmm. that we, that made it. And, um, so he was one of them that made it that year. And then he made it again at four and a half and at four and a half, he lived right i mean he was in our beans when samantha shot that deer superstar two years ago he was in the bean field with him and i found his sheds there last year um like he lived on our on our lodge side which is the more crop farm side yeah for some reason this past summer we started running cameras and he was a no-show and i thought he he died he you know something happened to him because he was so regular at four and a half um, so I'd had zero pictures of this deer, um, until September 29th or 25th. And in the middle of my timber farm, I have like a half acre food plot with, um, you know, I got a camera on like a scrape tree there. And he, he walked through the background of a, of that food plot in the middle of the day, you know, and I'm like, who and so i'm like zooming in and i'm like i i'm like me and samantha are like freaking out texting back and forth like is that for out like what is he doing is that him you know and so then like a week later i got another picture of him on a water hole in the middle of the timber and it was like the coolest feeling because instantly like my whole season turned to him yeah. you know and it was like nothing else mattered like that's the one like and i told samantha i said i'm probably going to eat my tag because i don't know where he's living now you know, yeah. he's not, he's not living where he's always lived. So I think by October 10th, I had a total of five pictures of him and none of them told the story. It's like, I don't know where he's at. So random. Um, and I kind of started figuring out where he lived and it's uh, about a 58, 50 to 70 acre chunk in the middle that we just never go in really hard to access. It's on a trout stream, meadow run and just gnarly mountain laurels too thick to really do much with right and so i felt like that's where he was living but i had no idea how he was coming or going yeah and so that's when kind of the chess game started and um i think you know like what we were talking about earlier earlier in my life i feel like i would have just as soon as i thought that's where he was at i would have dove right in yep you know and um probably blew him out of there but i just had the patience to say i'm not gonna kill him in there i'm gonna have he's gonna have to come out of there for me to kill him right or to have more than one day of hunting him. And so that's what I did. I just started, you know, keeping the wind right. And and that's when, you know, it was a game of elimination because this deer would not walk in my food plots. He wouldn't walk, um, you know, in front of my cameras. He was just a deer that lived in the thick laurels, you know, yeah. and it was like, I don't even know what he's eating. He wouldn't eat my food plots. He's, you know, it's acorns and brows and I guess briars and that was it, you know? So it was kind of a cool deer to hunt, but I honestly did not think I was going to kill him, especially when I killed him. So, yeah. And so what, when you're talking about this area that he lived in that 50 to 70 acres, what you were saying thick, as far as vegetation, what was the terrain like in, in that area? So one side of it's like a cliff. Um, it's like real cliffy, uh, where they had timbered this section, um, 
years ago and just that real thick trees, but like logging roads that zigzag on like the side of a face okay. back and forth. Um, and it was like mountain laurels and then it hit a Creek bottom. So, and I don't like hunting bottoms cause wind just swirls constantly down there. And like, unless you know what your thermals are doing, like previously, like if you get a North wind, like, you know, it's going to blow out one end to the other. Mm-hmm. Um, I just stayed out of there really. Like the only time I went in there, I've been in there twice, I think shed hunting. And I took my boy trout fishing in there. And like, other than that, we just don't go down there. And so I felt like it's where he had to be because he wasn't anywhere else. Yeah. You know, it was one of those deals. <laughs> yeah. Were you, were you shifting cameras around at that point or did you have yeah. them kind of say, so, okay, so you were moving them, trying to figure out where he was coming from, staying on the fringes a little bit. Yeah. Like we have 40 cell cameras on our farm and <laughs> wow. I got five pictures of him all year. And I was like, <laughs> this ain't good. No. Like I got no clue on this thing. Like, so at that point it was like, I didn't want to put more cameras or move them because I felt like he was so wary of them. Like I've hunted deer before that like, do not like cameras at all. Like what they'll walk around them. They'll change their pattern when you move a camera in on them. And so like, I was like, okay, like I'm going to literally saddle hunt this thing and like not leaving a set in. I'm not cutting limbs. I'm not doing anything. Like I'm going to go in and hunt. And if I don't see him, I'm, I'm hunting until i feel like i can find them with my eyes because cameras are not working and just one of those deer that as soon as something would change he moved you know i felt like it was just too smart for me to do that I don't yeah know, but and and so when you when you had it was at the when you ended up killing him was that the first time you saw him like yep, with your own eyes time. yep i mean it was literally 20 seconds from the time i seen him to the time i shot him and it was just like the most surreal 26 i would not have even been in the woods though like i had um so the guys from first light were in at my farm hunting and they had this uh they're shooting this documentary deal or like a character piece and so i had jordan riley and they're like we were hunting and i wouldn't normally be hunting mornings in mid-october you know i'm like i don't like this you know i feel dirty i don't i don't want (laughs) to go in there like but i'm like it was like the first cold front too and i was like okay like and I remember texting one of them that night. I said, I think I know where he's living. So the night before me and Jordan went to this spot and didn't see him. And I thought that we would. And so when I didn't see him there, I was like, we're going deep in the morning. Like we're going in like to the edge of the sanctuary. So on that cliff I was talking about, I went to the edge of it. And so my wind was going to be blowing over that cliff and I knew he couldn't get downwind of me. Yeah. And so that morning we went in and um yeah so we were watching a little three-year-old that looks just like him and it was so funny this little three-year-old comes cruising up this so so it's like a mid side hill bench on a big ridge that runs down so the side hill bench kind of fed into this sanctuary and i thought okay that's you know if i was him this is how i'd be going back and forth Mm -hmm. you know right here it's the easiest way to get from these big wide oak ridges into this thicket so i'm like that's that was my thought and it was right which is not doesn't happen very often but (laughs) (laughs) i've been wrong i've been wrong so many times but the thing with hunting the big deer is you only have to be right once so i was like finally right but i was watching this three-year-old comes up the ridge just kind of meandering through uses that bench goes right into the, the sanctuary and i was like dang like and I'm sitting there thinking like, that is like the offspring of brows. Like he's got six inch brows, a little eight point, you know, and I'm like, going to be a giant. And, uh, 
it wasn't like two minutes. I thought, you know, it's mid October. Bucks could still be together, you know? Mm-hmm. And I look up and right the way he just walked, it was like this giant frame. I could see brows like 12 inches long. And I'm like, I looked at Jordan. I said, it's him, dude. <laughs> His <laughs> eyes got so big around. And I was like, he's like, where? I was like, he's coming right at us, like 50 yards coming. And so like, I had to spin around backwards on the saddle uh, every time. Like they come to my offside yeah. where I got to do something stupid. And uh, when I finally, like, I was going so slow because it was just one of those mornings, it was a steal. And when I finally, like, peeked around to find him again, he's, like, 28 yards, like, walking through the woods. And I'm just like, oh, my God, I can't believe this is happening. And so I uh, walked around a tree and broadside, 25 yards, smoked him. It was just a crazy morning, man. Yeah, and, and that's probably stressful, too, with having the camera guy in the tree because that limits a little bit where you can move with your saddle. Yeah. Unless he was – was he above you enough that you could even shoot, like, underneath him or – No, he was on the deer side. So it was like okay. – I looked – when I, I – like, when I saw the deer, I was looking through Jordan. Like, <laughs> you know, so it's, like, not good. Like <laughs> No. Yeah, I was right – I was right enough to know the area. I was wrong on where I thought he was going to walk, but – um he still walked close enough. We were, we got it done, but it was like the, probably the most excited I'd ever been just because it's one of those deals where you don't think you're going to get it pulled off that morning. You know, I'm like just hoping to see him. <clears throat> and so to, to smoke him and know it was over was like a really awesome feeling. But yeah. And so uh, the a question I have is like, when you went in that morning, how did you access that spot? If you thought he was like, you know, feeding <laughs> out on the Ridge and the white Oaks and then coming back into that thicket. Yeah, I took a chance that morning and, and, um, on me being right, you know, and, uh, I felt like he wasn't on, see, it would be our Southeast corner. So I felt like he was staying on our Southwest side on, on some big, uh, white Oak ridges and feeding all night. And, uh, so we accessed it through my Southeast corner, which is more just like, you know, like briars and, and more bedding. And so we went through the bedding to get there, um, just taking a chance that he was not back yet. Um, pretty much. Um, so I walked the edge of my sanctuary pretty much the whole way and, and got in there and and didn't go through where I felt like he was feeding and, uh, he just stayed out a little too late partying, I think. Yeah. uh, Came back in (laughs) a little too late. (laughs) What was it? What was the date on that? I think it was like October 17th or 18th, something like that. Okay. Yeah. It was, it was even early for him to be out, you know, sniffing around a little bit. That's crazy. It was just that, you know, it was like 31 degrees or something, 30 mid 30. So it was like that first. And I've always said the first cold front in October is the best time to kill a big buck in my opinion, but it's, it's just hard to know exactly where he's going to be, you know? Yeah. Um, But there's like a three day window in mid October every year that every mature deer on the farm will daylight you know and it's like it's hard to say when that's going to be or even if i'm going to be home but it seems like every year there is like a three-day window in that 15th to 23rd of october where it's just money so yeah and you know that what's interesting is that you know that you travel so much to hunt and stuff. Was that kind of hard on you being like, what if I get pictures of them or what's, oh, you know, yeah. once you had pit, once you saw him September 29th or 25th or whatever it was like when you would leave, it'd probably be like, I don't know. That would drive me 
nuts. Like I, oh, I feel yeah. like I can't leave Pennsylvania, even though it's not the big buck mecca of the world. But like I, I can't leave that until I fill my tag to go somewhere else. <laughs> it's so hard. Yeah, I, I went to Alaska, so I was like, I couldn't even <laughs> check my cameras. You know, I'm like, I cre- but the good news with him was it wasn't like. I had him pattern. That would have been, I think, harder. Yeah. Like if I was like, he was showing up and like I had to leave or something. It was like one of those deals where like, well, I have no idea where he's at anyway, you know, and I don't think anybody else does either. Um, And come to find out some, some chick had like, he lived on their farm all summer, their place. And like, they had tons of pictures of him. So he wasn't even on us. Really? um, Most of the summer. Yeah. Well, that's what I hear. But I mean, I haven't been able to confirm that, but I've tried to get some pictures and whatnot, but I, I haven't been able to to do that yet. So, but I did hear like from a pretty reliable source that this girl had like all kinds of pictures of him. So do, do you think that, you know, what was the reason you think that he did shift like away from your, the farm part of your farm to the, the big timber? Do you think, was it a different oak or yeah, acorn crop or something there that changed it? I think we have too many deer. Um, I think, you know, once a deer gets to be a certain age, they don't like being around that many does and that many, you know, other deer, they don't like competing for things. And yeah. And so it's stressful on them. I think it's one of the reasons why PA has a harder time growing big deer because they make it really hard for us to get doe tags. And so we are just overrun with does, you know, um, like we got to go to the courthouse, get doe tags. Nobody wants to do that. Right. That's yeah. dumb. Like it's, it's 2021. Like, can we like <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> buy some doe tags? Right. So <clears throat> like, if I hunt my <clears throat> lodge side of the farm, I might see 30 does, you know, it's like, it's too many. And so I just feel like he didn't like that. And so he was like a loner anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just felt like he moved to the part of our farm. It was just the deer density was way down there, you know, and way less. Um, so I, I feel like that's probably why, because the food options were not there, mm-hmm. um, especially in the summer. But I just think he was just one of those bucks that, wouldn't sacrifice his safety for food you know and i think a lot of our bucks will like it gets cold enough they're coming it get you know we get the right temperatures they're coming to food he never was that buck it was like very random when he would show up even when he was four and a half but he was always on the on that side you know and he was there at night he was there at night a lot but getting in the daylight was never easy so yeah, it's it, it is interesting, you know, as far as, you know, he when he was younger, he was like that college kid that liked being at all the parties and hanging out and then he got older and he moved to the country yep. and he's just like um I'm, I'm staying out here on on my own and you know, and that's way my the buck that my dad shot this year, that deer when he hunted them for three weeks straight, he saw a few other bucks and that, like that deer where he lived his core area was him. Like yeah. he, that was, you know, and some, and some does in the surrounding areas, but not, there wasn't that. And the difference between where you live and where I live in Pennsylvania is we don't have a high deer density. So it's actually, right. I actually like that from the standpoint, yeah. it, it sucks as far as not, seeing deer and your, your mental state from not seeing deer for so many days. But I think it really helps from the standpoint of, uh, bucks, especially during the rut and everything. Cause they got to move to, to go, f- to go find them and yeah. they, they have ample amounts of food and everything else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know, it, it makes it better about, you know, you don't have to beat so many deer, you know, it's like a lot of places I'm like, I know I got to beat 20 deer before, you know, the mature one shows up. I got to, you know, they can't win me. They can't bust me. They can't, 
So yeah, sometimes it's nice to know like, Hey, I might see two deer this week, but one of them's probably going to be the right one. Yeah. So, um, like Southern Ohio is that way. Like we talked about, normally you don't have to deal with 10 deer in a sit. It's like, if I see one, it's probably going to be him, you know? So I, I do, I like hunting that way. A lot of people want to see deer all the time and it is nice sometimes, but it's also nice knowing that I'm not going to have 20 sets of eyes on me. So, yeah. And a place like that, like where, where you're talking about where he lived, that's too, it's different. Like, you know, you're hunting on that, that side hill kind of bench that's going around. You're not, you probably can't see a ridiculous, you know, you can't no. see that far. And like, I feel like that's a lot of the places that I'm setting up to on these big deer. It's like, you gotta, if you want to, you gotta choose whether you want to see deer or if you want to hunt mature bucks, it's two different, yeah. different things, at least in, in the, you know, big woods type country. Yeah, 100%. And I just think, you know, when I saw that three-year-old, I was like, dang, it's a pretty good sit. You know, I was like, <laughs> I wasn't expecting, you know, I was like, that's cool. We got to see a buck, you know, and yeah. I was like, that was awesome, you know, and then all of a sudden there's a, you know, a giant coming up the ridge. But yeah, it's just one of those deals where you got to be, it's hard to stay focused whenever you're not seeing deer or you're hunting places like that. And, uh, but that's kind of where i grew up like the carolinas was mountains and just big timber and like you got one chance a year my dad used to tell me you're gonna get one opportunity this year Mm -hmm. you know you're gonna get one chance and he was normally right and i screwed up so many times normally just by not staying focused and and which is when you're a kid it's easy to do you get distracted bored you know i'm carving sticks with a pocket knife instead of paying attention and anymore that's my cell phone i have to like it was just one of those places where it was like, you couldn't be texting. You couldn't be like, it was going to be from the time you seen him to the time you had to shoot him was going to be seconds. Right. Yep. And that's what it was. So, yeah, that's, that's awesome. And it's, it's just, it's so cool to, to one, be able to hunt a deer of that caliber, you know, in Pennsylvania on your own right. farm that's there. And it just shows that, that it, there is a potential for mm-hmm. that. And that, I don't know my one of my goals is when i'm at some point in my life i want to buy a farm and be able to do that like right now i love running around all these new areas and i probably will never let go of that completely but i really want to have my own piece of ground and have that satisfaction of of doing it like i mean i have eight acres that i live on now but it's not uh most of it's kind of swamp so it's not uh, yeah it's not that great for it but i i think that's that's cool in its own yeah it is cool i mean it's like there's nothing cooler than watching a deer grow up, you know, but it's also, um, more bittersweet experience hunting too. I feel like owning your own ground and taking a deer off of it because it's so final. Like, you know, hunting is so final too, with an animal, especially that you're chasing like a specific animal because it's like, dang it. You know, it's like, he's never going to walk on this farm again. Like he's mm-hmm. never going to get another picture. I'm I'm not going to wake up tomorrow checking my cameras going, did he show up last night? You know? So it's, uh, it's more of, um, we just like really paying a lot of respects to the chase of that animal and just, but it's cool to let him get old, you know, cause deer, one of my buddies, Andy Morgan says, white tailed deer were born to die. And they were, and it's, and that is not truer in anywhere than Pennsylvania. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they don't make it past three very often here, you know? Wow. And, and so uh, it's just one of those deals where it was cool to let him get to five and a half and to know he lived a good, really long life there. And, and like, then to 
be able to take him like that. Like it's a bittersweet thing, but it's, it's one of the coolest feelings to just stand on your own dirt, and stand over a deer like that. Just really cool. Yeah. And so the, the question is, did Jordan get it on film? Yeah, he did. He did, did he? a good job. That's the first. So my first sit with Jordan ever was the evening before that. So like, I'd never really hung out with him, didn't know how he hunted or anything. So I was like nervous wreck. You yeah. Know? Um, but no, he did great, man. Great hunter. And, and, uh, yeah, like that morning I felt like that setup was like, I was like rusty with my hanging hunts. Like it'd been a year, you know, it's like right now I feel like I'd go hang and hunt and be up the tree. It's set in 15 minutes, Yeah, you know? but it was like the first one of like, I think maybe the second one of the year, maybe third there on my farm. And it was like, I felt like I did everything wrong. Everything was set up weird and still ended up getting it done. But now Jordan was great. Yeah. I've, I've, I've only met Jordan through video calls for Spartan Forge and, and getting to yeah. talk to him that way. But he seems like a, a great dude and super talented. Um, yeah. He's very talented. Yeah. yeah. Ate up with whitetail hunting too, which is cool. You know, it, it's cool to be in a tree with somebody that's as excited as you are, you know? And yeah. so. A lot of people have asked me like, you know, would, you know, does, does filming hunts take away from it or, you know, does it kind of suck? And I'm, to me, like it's, it, I would way rather have somebody there with me, Mm -hmm. um, anymore because like this year in Ohio, when I killed that giant there, like my biggest deer ever, I was filming myself. It was like such a different, it was really cool mainly because like that ridge I killed him on was like, I grew up hunting with a climber right there, like just those white oak ridges and and like learned so much and so to be sitting there by myself and shoot a 180 something inch typical by myself filming was like a cool feeling but at the same time i'm so used to having my brother there or something like that to like celebrate with and like i had to sit there for like because i didn't want to go to it until my dad got there my brother so i'm like sitting there for like two and a half hours like (laughs) (laughs) let's go you know like i want to go see this thing but um I, I like having somebody there to, to celebrate with. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the, the last thing I want to ask you about um, wh- when you have an, you know an opportunity, whether it's in the timber in the field, how how are you doing with uh, as far as range and guessing yardage? Are you just good from doing 3D that you just kind of know yardage is really well? Or are you doing are you ranging stuff ahead of time, or what what are you doing from that standpoint? Yeah. I don't like guessing at all in the woods. It's so different, you know, like body stuff, like 3d when we're guessing yardage, the targets are the same every year. So like you learn the target size and that's kind of how you gauge the distance really is that depth perception by looking at the target and how big it looks and the detail you can see hunting is like, I'm pretty good at snap judging like that. But if I can, I always try to get an exact range because like, I think over the last 10 years, I'd say 90% of the deer I've missed or screwed up on, um, have been because I didn't have a good range, you know, and I've just learned that I would rather let them walk off as to guess anymore. Um, Mm -hmm. now obviously I get in a tree, I'm trying to pick, like, I think they're going to come here. So I'm going to range, like try to get like my 30, 40, 50, like something that I can go off of if he comes through quick, you know? Um, but if I can, I still like to, to click him just to get an exact, you know, instead of going he's over 40, under 50, you know, it's, that's a big window of you know, a lot of room for you know, screwing it up. So, 
Yeah, it's that's it's something I, I feel like if there's if the one of the biggest things for me that I'm trying to get better at is that and in yards, even when I am, you know, ranging things ahead of time and things are going to happen quick, like just getting that yardage down because anything I feel like the any of the deer that I've screwed up on has been yardage related mm-hmm. and just not and not having that right. And I just had that happen when I was down in West Virginia there. I was I think I was texting you a little bit about it and it's just yeah. Uh, it drives me nuts and I, I'm continually thinking about it and how I can get better at it and, yeah. you know, and, and do better in those situations. So I, with, with you getting in so many reps at, uh, at whitetails, especially this year and everything, just, I was curious of that. Yeah, no, I think, you know, certain situations are just you're not time for it. Like my Mississippi buck the other day, I didn't have time to judge it, but I had ranged a lot of stuff around me and it's so thick there. Like you're, max shot was like i think 40 yards and where i was at um so i like i knew within like three or four yards how far he was and 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 smoked him but i man i don't like that feeling of pulling my pins down on one and not knowing like he's 41 and a half you know i i want to know like exactly how far this sucker is so yeah um if at all possible i'm i'm clicking him okay that's that's good to know but yeah. I, well, so do you think that you're going to have, do you have any, your sights set on any other ones on your PA farm for, for next year? Or is um, there something you can't, you can't, you, you don't want to say cause it's Pennsylvania. <laughs> no, you know, I, I do. I, I mean, I'd have my sights set on hoping a few make it that a couple of them made it through gun season, but last year we lost one of our best up and comers in Flintlock season. So really, um, I really don't get too excited about what's left until season's completely over, you know, <laughs> and then I can start feeding again and get inventory. Um, the buck Samantha was after has disappeared. Um, and my son shot one and hit it in the shoulder with, with a crossbow and it hasn't came back yet. So, Honestly, dude, our farm's looking pretty slim pickings for next year right now. Um, we've got like the three-year-old, I said, that looks just like Browse as, as of last night was still alive. So um, there's a few deer I want to see. Uh, and we'll have some mature deer, like big sevens and stuff, no matter what. Uh, we've got several of those. But as far as deer like the one I killed this year, I don't think we're going to have any next year. Um, yeah. unless something just surprises me and shows up, but Samantha shot that giant two years ago. And then I shot that one last year and all of our up and comers got smoked this year in gun season. So, um, which you can't blame people for shooting 130 inch three-year-old when it walked by them. I mean, it's like, I'm not going to tell you to pass that. I, I, you know, we let them walk on our place and hope they make it. Most of them don't. And it's just a, a you know, a thing that we know is going to happen. Um, it's the ones that slip through the cracks and just for till they're five and a half, they can be special. So, yeah. Well, awesome. I really appreciate you uh, coming on Levi and, and talking to me on the, the show. I've, I've been looking forward to this for, for a little while here. So I, I definitely appreciate that. Absolutely, man. Thanks for having me. We'll do it again sometime. And, uh, um, it's good talking to somebody else in, in PA that's shooting big deer and, and, uh, doing the thing. So, yeah, heck yeah. So can you tell everybody where they can find um, your TV show and everything else that you're kind of doing? Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, TV shows on the Outdoor Channel. So it's um, Wednesday nights, I think. comes on four times a week. I don't know. I haven't been watching. I've been hunting, but it's on Outdoor Channel. <laughs> it's called Bow Life. 
uh, <laughs> I'm terrible self-promoter here, but, uh, yeah. And then Bo Life Levi on Instagram, pretty much those things you can, uh, you can uh, find me. And then we do have the podcast, which is on the line with, uh, me and Andy. Uh, we got to get you on there at some point too. And, and, uh, Andy's hilarious, man. He'll just laugh more than you do anything else, but we have fun on there. Yeah. Uh, you know, I've been, yeah, I've that, been that, listening that, to yeah. it the last <laughs> month or so, and I really enjoy it. It's, it's good. Uh, it's good that you guys come out with that bi-weekly, I believe. Is that what? Yeah. Every other week. Yeah. Every yeah. other week. Yeah. Every other week. So, yeah. um, yeah, I, I've been listening to it and, and you guys definitely have a good, uh, I guess relationship back and forth on there. Like both your, both your characters, if you want to put it that way. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's something, man. He's one of my best friends and one of the best hunters and fishermen, you know, that I, he's obviously the best fisherman I know, but he's just, uh, he's a funny dude, man. I know that. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks Levi. I appreciate it. Hey, thanks, Bo. Appreciate it. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit eastmeetswesthunt.com, Facebook at East Meets West Outdoors, and Instagram at East Meets West Hunt. If you enjoyed today's episode, please review and subscribe, and we'll catch you next time.